You're listening to a sermon by New Hill Church. We pray this message helps you put Jesus into perspective. If you have any questions about this message or a relationship with Jesus, email us at engage at newhilloh.com. Amen. Good morning, church. Good to be with you all again. If you are an elementary age student, you can hop up on your feet and you see this guy over here taller than me. Right here, Simon, Bartos, you guys can laugh. I just made a height joke about myself. I feel like that's supposed to be funny, especially you kids. If you see Simon, you can go ahead and follow him. He's going to take you down to your class this morning. Uh, We just launched our elementary age class last week, so kindergarten through fifth grade. Um, You guys will be getting a lesson on your level, and it'll be about the same topic. Uh, They'll be going through the same verses that we're going through this morning, uh, because Gary and I are getting together. I'm talking about what I'm preaching on this week and each and every week, and then Gary's writing a lesson on the kids' level so that we can set you guys up, you parents up, um, to have gospel conversations at home. We don't have to reinvent the wheel, right, where parents are coming and they're learning one thing, the kids are learning another thing, and we're trying to just, all right, we've got a bunch of things going on, but we just want to make things smooth. We want to make your your home a well-oiled gospel machine where the gospel is being preached to your kids, your kids are being discipled um, into maturity. Um, so we're just really excited to have that class going. Church, I hope you guys had a, a good week. I especially had a good Saturday evening, hung out with some of my friends, uh, one of them being um, Matt Atzma. Uh, Matt, you can go ahead and raise your hand. Yep, that's Matt right back there. Matt, if you ever play darts with Matt, Matt will show up with a case and his own darts with his name on the fin, right? On the, on the, like, the fin, the blades. Am I saying that right? Is it the fin? He doesn't actually have his name on it, but his buddy told me that. He said, his name's actually on it. And I'm like, man, I'm going to like lose to Matt. I've told you guys that I beat Matt in, in foosball once upon a time. Last night, I conquered him in darts, too. That's right. I, he's, did you win the last game? Your friend did. All right, so three of us won, and Matt, unfortunately, I think he would have had the fourth game, but uh, we, we called it quits. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. also wanted to, to thank Matt. You guys probably saw that beautiful little sign that we have when you walk into the church now, and it says, Worship Upstairs, NH Kids Downstairs. We've had that sign for a while, but Matt um, graciously uh, made us a hook for it to actually hang there and look nice and not damage anything, especially our heads walking under it. Uh, So thank you, Matt, for that. Um, I'll give you some of the the glory this morning uh, and not all the shame of losing and darts. But church, I'm excited to to be back here again uh, this morning and going, and we're in our second week going through the book of Nehemiah and our series, Resurgence. So hopefully you guys enjoyed last week. Hopefully it was a good way, especially to start the new year, talking about this resurgence that Nehemiah is leading God's people on to, to go and to um, just build this effort, Lord willing, to rebuild the wall and to rebuild the spiritual community of those um, in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah, he's, he's heard this report, that's what we talked about last week, that the walls were down, uh, they, were, they had been set on fire, things just don't look good, the people are, are not doing well, it, it lay, Jerusalem just lays in shame, right? And Nehemiah, in verse 4, you guys can go ahead and turn to actually Nehemiah 1, that'll help us. But there in, in Nehemiah verse 4, Nehemiah 1 verse 4, it says, as soon as I heard these words, when he hears this report that Jerusalem was just down for the count. Soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God 
of heaven. That's what we talked about last week. We, we hit on those first four verses and, and how Nehemiah saw this need for resurgence. Our main point last week was that we should be broken by brokenness around us, by the brokenness around us, by the brokenness in our brother and sister's lives, by the brokenness of, of the church now, that, that people won't enter the church because they've been hurt by the church. But the only way they're going to find help for their, their, their hope and their future is by getting back into the church so they can experience the goodness of God with the people of God. And that we should be broken by our own brokenness. We should be brokenness by, broken by the brokenness in the world. It should just break us. And that's what verse 4, it, it's clear that Nehemiah hears these words. He's a thousand miles away from what's going on in Jerusalem. And he's just broken. That time and distance, he's, there's been 150 years of these walls, everything's been down. Nehemiah had no part in that. He's, he's been so far separated by time and distance, right? Literally years and distance, mile, miles. A thousand miles now, we're like, that's a, that's a weekend road trip for me, right? Back then, it was not a road trip for them. Like, that was not a commute you would think about. You're like, if I'm going there, I'm, adios, not coming back. But he's broken by what's gone on. And that really picks us up here. We're going to start in verse 4, but we're going to go through the end of chapter 1 today. You guys should have gotten um, a Nehemiah scripture journal last week. Hopefully you guys brought it again because we really want you guys to be taking notes, um, whether it be questions that you have. Our groups are doing different things, but the thing we want to do at the beginning of every group is what stood out to you in the message? What questions do you have? Um, because if we don't ask those questions, we're never going to get answers. We're never going to grow in our faith. We're just going to 25 years later, when we go through Nehemiah again, we're going to be like, oh, I had that question. And then another 25 years. And then we end up looking like the people in Nehemiah was like, your walls are down. Like, what are you doing? you got to build up these spiritual walls. So be writing down those questions. Be writing down the things that stand out to you. Share it on Facebook. Encourage someone else with what stood out to you. Use the hashtag NHNotes. I think that would be encouraging not only to me, but hopefully everyone here. But if you didn't get one or you just forgot yours, um, you can find it out on the cart outside, or you can grab a physical copy of the Bible back at the bar. But we're going to be in Nehemiah 1, picking up in verse 4 this morning. This is God's word for us. Let's pay attention. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the Lord God of heaven. Praying before the God of heaven. Sorry. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the words that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was, was cupbearer to the king. 
It's God's word for us this morning, church. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Lord God of heaven, I pray right now that you would just be with us in this time as we've, we've gathered to worship you. God, even though we, we may be gathering not really wanting to be here, we may be gathering uh, knowing that we need to be here, we may be here just because we're, we're out of fumes and, and out of fuel and we just need to be re-energized, but God, I pray we're, whatever we're in, whatever stage we might be in in this moment, God, that we would focus, we would focus on your word, especially as Nehemiah is teaching us this, this need for resurgence, not just then to rebuild the, the walls and rebuild the community, but God, that we would, we would begin to, to rebuild the walls here in Medina, these spiritual walls that have been broken down, the brokenness, God, that we see that it would affect us, it would stir up in our hearts to see this need for resurgence. Not just at the beginning of January, but God, in June and July when, when things are groovy and it's starting to heat up here in Northeast Ohio, but God, we would focus we would focus in on you and your goodness each and every day and see that the resurgence is not done until Jesus comes back. That God, we are to be the church in this dark and cold world, being the light of the world that you've called us to be, to go and to be lights in the world because of the light of the world. God, be with us in this time, especially as we, we read through the rest of this chapter. God, I pray that you would just illuminate the text to us, jump off the pages at us, that we would see the things and the convictions that we need to see this morning. Not that we would leave without hope, but that we would leave with faith that teaches us to share about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus and Him alone. Teach us to communicate with you, to confess to you, and to count on you, knowing that you are a faithful God. Jesus, our Savior, we love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So we're picking up here. Um, verse 4 is really just the background. So this is Nehemiah praying, right? He had heard the report, and as soon as he did, he, he, he sat down, he wept, he mourned for days. Not four days, but for days, like just kept on going. And he continued fasting and praying before the Lord, before the God of heaven, right? And, and we actually we get a picture of what he's praying to God. And it's so beautiful that it teaches us that this, this main point that we're going to talk about today is that he sees the need for this spiritual resurgence, but he understands that spiritual resurgence relies on the faithful Redeemer. That's a mouthful. It's an earful. Spiritual resurgence relies on the faithful Redeemer. It's a great thing to go ahead and write down in your scripture journal. Spiritual resurgence relies on the... That's it. Thanks, Adam faithful redeemer if you guys are um just not awake or maybe uh you don't this maybe your first time here or whatever i do that when i point at the screen i usually this is just when we say it um i don't expect everybody to be a genius but we'll, we'll catch on to it right that's I, I don't when i'm sitting in the seat like i'm like i'm like why is it what is he pointing at like i, I don't catch on to those things but if you guys could follow adam's lead <laughs> that'll be great all right so as we look at this main point that spiritual resurgence relies on the faithful redeemer i want to bring out three things specifically that that Nehemiah is doing here. That he's communicating, he's confessing, and he's counting on or relying on God. I went with counting on because obviously it's alliteration, so uh, count on God. First one is communicate. Communicate. The question here would be easy. When's the last time that you communicated with God? When's the last time that we spent time praying and confessing to God? You see, last week we saw this brokenness, right? A lot of us, we, 
I think I saw it on, on the eyes of us all. I felt it just on my own face yesterday as we were talking about the brokenness even in our own community that, that it just hurts. And we want something done about it. Amen, church? No, one, no Christian sits back. None, right? Like every Christian has this conviction. When brokenness is in front of them, they, they feel something. But it's about what you do after you see and feel the brokenness of, and the lostness of those around you. What you do is what will ultimately matter. Because seeing and acknowledging something, even Jesus isn't enough, right? It says that the, the demons believe in the name of Jesus. And they shudder, they tremble, they shake. But we know that demons aren't in heaven. Acknowledging things, church, is never going to get things done. I feel like I'm like bringing out my West Virginia roots, maybe yelling a little bit more. But this is very important because just to see something and see a need without doing anything, without... Even setting up a plan, not a solo plan, but a church plan. How are we together going to go out and put Jesus into perspective? That matters. But we cannot get there. There will be no spiritual resurgence without relying on the faithful Redeemer. So we must communicate with Him. We must talk to Him about what is going on. And as we have begun, hopefully so, this spiritual resurgence in our lives that we were talking about last week, beginning this time of spiritual resurgence, in our own lives and in this church family that we've been called to, we must take this step as Nehemiah did. That is that our spiritual resurgence relies on our faithful Redeemer. It relies on our Redeemer. If it relies on our Redeemer, which it does, then we must communicate with our Redeemer. And that's exactly what happens here. Verse 4 tells you a little bit of the background, but then it goes into what Nehemiah is communicating. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. You see, communication isn't the main point here. Communication alone is not the main point. That's actually why it's not the main point of the message today. I communicate a lot. Every Sunday, I communicate. Actually, public communication, giving public speech, public address, right? But actually, I love to communicate, period. If you spent any time with me, you know that I love to talk, right? My brother, and all, my brother and I, as kids, he was six and a half years older than me, as kids, and even to this day, we're known as talkers. And if you've ever met my mother, you will know why we are talkers. Actually, it's because I think my mom talks so much that we never got a word in that we're still catching up from our childhood to be able to talk a lot, right? Like, man, I've still got like 100,000 words that I've just got to catch up on, so that's why today's message is going to have a ton of words thrown into it, right? So if you've ever met my mom, you, you understand, and then you'll show me some grace, hopefully. See, my mom, when we were kids, was not so worried that we would be abducted, right? And I remember my mom specifically telling me, no one will ever take you. I'm like, man, that's really mean. She's like, because you don't shut up. <laughs> you all are like, yeah, I hear some laughs and everything. Seriously, my mom would tell us that. She's like, your brother would scream, and you would talk. Like, I'm the only person that would take you, Right? Because we can just talk all the time. No one else is, is going to, to take you and just talk, 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 right? And that's actually gone into Maylie. If you spend time with Maylie, Jared came over the other day and he was sitting at our like living room table and he's wide-eyed. Like, he's like, does she always talk this much? And I'm like, yep, sure does. <laughs> you can take her for the weekend if you want. But communication itself isn't the main point. So even though we are creatures that love to talk, all of us. We love to communicate. 
Even introverts, right? You find that one person that you can, you can talk and maybe they're, they're breaking down walls in your life and you learn to communicate because we, we've been created and designed to communicate and to fellowship with other beings, right? And especially here that we, we fellowship and we gather around the Word of God and the, the goodness of God and celebrate His presence that is among us. We are creatures that love to talk about anything, everything, some things, doesn't matter what. But that does not mean our communicating is beneficial. You see, my feet and the shoes of Nehemiah would respond to this news that Jerusalem is in ruins. I'd be like, who am I going to share this story with? Like, who am I? I got to tell somebody. Hey, Billy, Billy, hey, check it out. Jerusalem's in ruins. Just got to talk about it, right? That's what I'm telling you guys. And, and my family, we just love to talk, 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 talk. But that's not what Nehemiah does. We love to talk, complain, gossip, even vocally hope in something, right? We vocally hope that something great will happen. Like, hey guys, I really hope the brokenness gets fixed here in Medina. There's just so much lostness and, and everything. But notice here, church, that's not what Nehemiah does. It's not what happens in Nehemiah's communication. He says, oh Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God. He directs his communication to the God of heaven. Not Billy, who is just going to hear the story and go pass it on to somebody else who's going to be like, man, Medina's really dark. They really need a revival. They really need some resurgence. No, he takes it to the God of heaven, relying on him for help and hope in this resurgence. Because anything outside of the goodness of God is, is just in vain. It's, it's outside of his will. But we need to be in his will. We need to be communicating to him that his will would be done and he would use us as the servants, Nehemiah goes on to say. Nehemiah is beginning this resurgence by relying on God and taking his request to him. He's beginning this resurgence, but not on his own. Notice he didn't just take up and leave and just shoot straight over to Jerusalem to try and be Jerusalem's Savior. No, he is communicating with God. See, Nehemiah's recognition of who God is is crucially important to us today. R.C. Sproul notes on this verse that Nehemiah captures both the transcendence and his eminence. Nehemiah captures both God's transcendence and his eminence. The true God is not only far above his people as the God of heaven, he is near his people as the God of the covenant. For Deuteronomy 4, verse 7, writes, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord God is to us whenever we call upon Him? See, church, this is an, an ongoing intellectual debate with the world, with outsiders, those outside of the covenant of God, those outside of a saving relationship with God that think that there, if there is a God, if there's a God behind the Big Bang, that He did all of this and departed. And He wanted nothing to do with us. Well, that goes against the, the doctrine of adoption that says that, that we ran off on our own and God is adopting us back in through the blood of His Son, Jesus. Look, you don't go into adopting someone not wanting someone. So that's, we know as Christians that's not the case. 
This is something that, that we have to know with the entire world. We don't have a creator. I don't care what anybody outside the church says. I don't care what anybody inside the church says. If it's against this, it's wrong. We don't have a creator who simply designed everything and stepped away with no desire to connect with us. That's not the case. See, church, God's world is not a mass-produced product from the heavenly factory. No, God's desire is to have a personal relationship with us, period. If that wasn't the case, he would not have sent his son. If that wasn't the case, he wouldn't have, have set up um, covenants with the people in the Old Testament to help them look forward to the coming of his son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now with that in mind, we understand why we should not only want to communicate with God, but understand why we need to communicate with him. Because as the God of heaven, the most powerful, almighty, and all the world and all creation ever anything, that's the guy you want on your side. And if we're within his church already, if we're in, within a relationship with him, and we go to the person who knows what they're doing. Like If you guys need a dart teammate, who do you go to? Simon won a game too uh, yesterday, but um, he's downstairs. So I'm just kidding, Matt. I promise there's no more Matt jokes in here. I took those out. I added those this morning because it was pretty great. No, we go to, to the person who knows what they're doing. You go to the person who comes in with their own dark case. That person knows what they're doing, right? God, the creator of all things, knows what he's doing. Why would we leave him out of it? Exactly. We go to God. We should be taking not simply all things to God, but especially the spiritual things, right? We should, we should lift up all requests. But it's so funny. It's like we, we lift up the, the things that are temporary and material, and then we leave God out of the spiritual. With, with anything, if, if anything, right, we, we, we would hope to like leave the materialistic, selfish stuff out of it. And if that's the case, if there's only two things to go with, to him with, you want to go with the spiritual, we're supposed to communicate with him because he knows what he's doing. He's our God and wants to intervene, wants to help. Nehemiah sets the example that to, to push on the mission of God, church, we must actually communicate with the one and only God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This peace is like Nehemiah going at the heart of God, like reminding him of his promise to his people, Right? Like, oh, almighty God, great and awesome God, the one who, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. It's like he's reminding God, like, don't forget, you keep covenant and steadfast love with us. Don't forget it, God. But not just, he doesn't just keep it, but it says he keeps it with those who love him and keep his commandments. Listen to the similarity of Nehemiah's prayer to Daniel's prayer in Daniel 9.4. I probably could read it, and you all would think I'm still reading from Nehemiah. It, it's so similar, and, and it's so crucially important that we understand how to communicate with God. Daniel 9.4 says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Almost verbatim. Now notice that, that steadfast love part. The, the Hebrew word there is hesed. Kind of sounds like he said. Because God said, 
He keeps steadfast love, which is a quality that honors a covenant through thick and thin. That's something like foreign to us now because we don't honor any covenant now, thick and thin. Just whenever we're tired of the person that we're in it with, we're just done. I'm not just talking about how we view marriage now. I'm talking about how we view friendships and, and, and covenants with churches just joining. And then like we get mad about a chord that might be played or we might get mad about... Um, the speakers hiss. Like our speakers hiss all the time. Like, right? They just hiss then. I, I actually don't hear the speakers hissing, so you're doing a good job, Jared. But we get mad over the paint on the walls and all these things, and we just like leave these covenants as if they never meant anything. But there's this beautiful thing that God, God told us that He keeps covenant and He keeps steadfast love. They're, they're quoting from the covenant that God made. but it's to those who love Him and keep His commandments. That's why it's important that we don't just pretend like, well, we're in this covenant, God. Like, what's going on? Why am I not receiving anything? Church, as we communicate, we must confess. Because the word there, it, it's talking, it's, it's pointing us back into those who love Him and keep His commandments. Church, this is why I always say it's so important, so crucially important. We don't believe that you lose your salvation here. Actually, the Bible doesn't believe you lose your salvation. I'll just be blunt. I mean, I don't get that view from an opinion. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. Some call it eternal security, but it is so important to understand this. When we look at, at you guys, if you come and you talk to one of the pastors here and you're, you're telling us about your testimony and you tell us that you walked down an aisle 55 years ago and that was all you ever did, then I'm going to be like, you need to walk that aisle again and actually believe in Jesus. The aisle has nothing to do with it. It's, it's believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth. A true confession. So what, what is happening here, what happened in the, the Mosaic Covenant is that it taught them to honor faithfulness. And if they didn't, they would be removed from the blessings. But they could come back. But there's this condition in this Old Testament covenant that they needed to remain faithful. So Nehemiah sees the importance of confessing to God. Look, I can't expect anything from you, God, Nehemiah is saying. In this state that I'm in right now, and what we're doing, not following you, God. But, God, I know that you're a God, an awesome God, a faithful God to honor your covenant and steadfast love with your people who love you and keep your commandments, is what Nehemiah is saying. He's beginning this confession. So within, with, within whatever bubble of life you're in or deal with, this is the real sense of confession. We need to, to confess. Even as church leaders, we communicate and confess areas of struggle, failure, or need. Even outreach failure, right? We confess that to one another. Like, hey, brother, like, we're not doing that event again. We confess things. It's simple. So we confess our failures, our sin, the things against God's will and his word. We confess those things to him. So Nehemiah addresses God and turns here to confession. Verse 6, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Now remember, he's saying we haven't kept your commandments, haven't kept your statutes, your rules, everything that you commanded of Moses. So if you even look back in verse 5, 
great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So Nehemiah understands that they're out of what we'd say the will of God. We talk about that a lot here, especially in the, the New Testament church, right? We talk about the will of God. Nehemiah is confessing that we're not in your will, God. We haven't been in your will. Nehemiah is seeking God's attention here. His, he requests that God would hear him out and see where he's coming from. Not, not that, that Nehemiah may justify the actions of unfaithfulness and idleness for all these years, but that God would correct, redeem, and lead them into a resurgence. You see, so often we go and we confess things to God and just hoping for some kind of justification, right? And we shouldn't look to be justified. We should look to be sanctified in our prayers and in our confession that God would sanctify us into a way of righteous living. And Nehemiah, he wants God to hear this. He wants him to hear his prayer. And this isn't simply a, a thanks for the meal prayer, which is all fine and dandy. But this is Nehemiah's fasting and pouring out his life kind of prayer. Verse 4, again, it shows us that Nehemiah has been weeping and mourning for days as well as fasting and praying before God. Church, this is his prayer, and it says day and night. Psalm 1, verse 2, as we look back a few months ago, shows us the importance of prayer and meditation on God's Word day and night. That it shouldn't be something that we just do and, look, these devotions are great, right? Like, don't get me wrong, keep in those. But like even in our head, the things that we're reading, are we still meditating on it, thinking about it day and night? It is very vitally important to our spiritual walk that we think about these things. Because when we're in God's Word, we begin to confess that we need God's Word, that we, that we need to be sanctified, that we need to turn from our sin. So within his communication, it doesn't take long to see his, his confession, right? He's communicating and turns to this confession. Literally, it, it's saying, I now uh, pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house. Look. Look at the humility. The humility of Nehemiah. In the first three verses, did we get a report of how crummy Nehemiah had been? No. No, we got a, a report of how crummy Jerusalem looked. And that broke him. But now he's confessing his own sin. He's not saying like, hey, those guys over there a thousand miles away, they're the problem, right? Like if you believe this, you are the problem. No, he throws himself into this problem. Remember, he's just received report that the Jews back in Jerusalem have been negligent in the rebuilding of the walls in the city. But what Nehemiah doesn't do is pass the blame. I remember doing this um, team project back in high school. Some of you guys can think back to your team projects and you're either in my shoes or you're in my team's shoes. right? So I'm in my own boat if you're catching where I'm going with this. I remember this project so well. I remember what took place. Um, I remember the, the face one. I remember the faces of the people who got placed in my team when they heard that I was on their team. Right, like, ah, we got him. Two, I remember my team throwing me under the bus for a lack of participation in our project. I felt shammed, right? We had this, this great elaborate project that the other three people did. That's why I like team project. I didn't know like we were going to like Anybody would ever throw you under the bus 
And they walked in with the project, the three of them together, and I walked in later. I'm not proud of this. I just remember this moment, and I still just feel so shammed. It's like, wow, you guys did great. And like, sure did. They like put their noses up at me. Teacher walks in. Like, Mrs. Hutchinson, Michael didn't help us at all. And I'm like, what? I signed my name. No, we erased it, loser. Right? And I'm like, oh, man, like they really shammed me. They threw me under the bus. But Nehemiah, church, he, he doesn't throw anyone under the bus. And he doesn't set himself up to be the hero of this story. No. Nehemiah understood that for spiritual resurgence to take place, he and everyone else, not just the people back in Jerusalem, Nehemiah and everyone else must rely on the faithful Redeemer, particularly here through confession. This is why I consciously try so hard to remember to speak this way. We, church, when I'm, when I'm preaching, I consciously try to think about things. Like last week, if you go back and listen to the recording, I'm like, you, and I'm like, I changed my word. I'm like, we, because I, if it ever comes out as you, remember, I'm consciously trying to preach to myself because I need this also. But I try and think of, of we, church, and our sin, not your sin, and our problems, not your problems, and our habits, and not your habits, and our depravity. When I talk about our town being broke, I live in this town. The lostness and brokenness affects me, so we need to go out and make a difference. Literally, the lostness affects me in my life. It tears me down. It beats me up. So we should be confessing these sins. Like, hey, God, maybe I'm not being a good example to the lost here in Medina. Maybe my life isn't reflecting your grace in every step that I take. So lead me. Let me, let me confess these things to you that I could, I could be back in, into a good standing with you. Not that I've been taken out of the covenant relationship through Jesus, but that maybe, as the Bible says, we should confess our sins so that our prayers might not be hindered. That's an unpopular message. When you're telling me Jesus doesn't listen to me, when, when I've sinned? No, I'm not saying that, but the Bible says that your prayers can be hindered. Because God wants us to not just push things into, like, under the bed or throw things in the closet, like our front closet I often refer to. It's not like that. Confess it. Get that baggage off of you. It is so good when you do that. It is great when we confess our sins and we don't throw people under the bus especially our church family. Verse 7. We, he says, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. He flat out says, we haven't done what we should have been doing. We haven't been doing the things that, that you, our God, holy and above all, have called us to do. We aren't following the law. We aren't following the commandments. We aren't following your statutes that you commanded through Moses. Nothing. See, this is Nehemiah's acknowledgement to why they're in this current predicament. They, they broke the Mosaic Covenant, right? Which had its blessings conditioned in active obedience. The breaking of this covenant led to their exile. Literally, you read the Old Testament. God bluntly said, as, as we've already stated, that, that he, he is going to, actually, Nehemiah goes into that in verse uh, 8. Remember the word 
um, that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. So he knows that. He knows that they were unfaithful and they were scattered. Jerusalem was sieged by the enemy and then they were taken in exile for many, many years. He understands this. But church, remember from his words earlier, God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. All is not lost. And Nehemiah knows it. Our town, our church, our lives can feel broken and in a hopeless state. And I don't know if it's from a lack of obedience, faithfulness, us just not following God. I'd rather be in God's will than out of God's will, whatever it might be. But you are never too far gone that you cannot be brought back in. That's always been God's message to his people. And Nehemiah knows that and is encouraged by it and builds his case by it. He's building his case for a resurgence and the hope that God is faithful to forgive and restore his people, that despite their past lack of faithfulness, they can count on the faithful God to redeem and lead them in resurgence. They can count on God, point number three. Verse eight. Remember the word you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. This is the promise. If you do A, then B will surely happen. My dad always told me, don't put your hand on the heater, you will burn your hand. What happened when I put my hand on the heater? I burned my hand. God told them, if you do not follow these, this, these rules, this covenant, if you don't follow it, if you are not faithful to it, I will scatter you. And he did that. Surprise, surprise, right? God's up here like, told you all. Like, you all don't listen. It's like my dad. He's like, I told you you would burn your hand. The only thing I wish people would have told me is you don't grab the metal rack after you put a pizza on it in the oven. I did that as a kid, had no warning, so I, I feel kind of gypped there. But church, hence the exile. There's this warning that if you do this, this will happen. It's like he's stating, Nehemiah's stating why they're in this position. We stood against you, God, and you scattered us. Leviticus 26, verse 33 talks about that. Deuteronomy 4, verses 25 through 27, and Deuteronomy 28, verse 64 all talk about this idea of being scattered for their disobedience. Nehemiah is not shook or surprised by this. But, verse 9, but if you return to me, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. But, this is the ABC church. I always say, always look for a biblical conjunction. This is very important. But if you return to me and keep my commandments. Nehemiah states, this is why we're in this problem. We did not follow you, God. I know that. But what you also said, he's quoting this, this, old, this old scripture, right? He's quoting from Moses. If you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among your peoples. He's still quoting God. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost part, I'll gather them, right? You'll be redeemed. Church, this is our hope, amen? This is where it gets exciting. Maybe, maybe we felt like we just went like 12 rounds with Mike Tyson in those first two points. This is where it gets good. But if you return to me and keep my commandments, there is hope for God's people that despite a time of unfaithfulness, maybe in our own lives as well, despite ignoring what God had 
told them and maybe tells us to do, despite being scattered abroad, despite being outside of God's church, we can be brought back in. Nehemiah is literally saying, but dad, you said, and not in the whiny sense, he's reminding God, hey God, it's time for this resurgence. I confess to you that we have not gone the way that you've told us to. I know that's why we're in this situation. But God, I'm counting on you because you are faithful and you have said and given us the hope that we can be redeemed. But dad, you said, you see, we tell Maylee a lot, tell her a lot of things. We were coming back from the Cleveland Zoo the other day, and we told her, hey, if you know, you're good, then we'll get some Chick-fil-A on the way home. Coming up the Strongsville exit, and I'm like, she's asleep. I'm broke. Do I really want to get Chick-fil-A right now? As soon as I passed the Strongsville exit, she, it was almost like she just like woke up. She's like, I thought we were going Chick-fil-A, but Dad, you said... I'm like, well, I'm not going to Fairlawn, and I'm not turning around. Um, I did say we were going to get it. I just didn't say we were going to get it right now, right? Like, we'll get it next time we're in Strongsville. But, like, she, like, knows, like, she's trying to, like, learn wording and, like, how to, like, play it back on me. She's kind of stuck in a rut right now of not really knowing how to argue back with me, which is great for now. But, church, God is, is the great and almighty. He is greater than I. He is greater than my words. Unlike Maylee, who can't trust me half the time anymore, we can trust the Almighty God. We can count on Him. He is the one we should aim to please, the one we should direct our prayers, send our thanks, and so on. And he closes up here. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. These are God's People, church, if you believed in Jesus today, you are God's people. That is encouraging. And Nehemiah's words aren't that, that they're, they're all lost, but that there's hope that can only be found. There's this resurgence to be had that can only be led by the faithful God who keeps His covenant and steadfast love with His people who follow his commandments that love and delight in his word oh lord he says in verse 11 let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man now i was cupbearer to the king see this is important because nehemiah is not saying that we just need to count on god but but nehemiah if he's going to lead this resurgence he needs to count on god Notice, O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive. So he's asking for God's attention again to the prayer of your servant, him, and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant back to Nehemiah today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Why does it say he's the cupbearer to the king? Because he is about to request that the king let him go back and lead this resurgence by the leading and the following of God. That he would follow God back to God's land, to rebuild God's temple, to rebuild God's community. But Nehemiah knows he cannot make it to Jerusalem. Nehemiah knows he can't gain uh, enough materials to get the job done. Nehemiah knows he can't grab all the strongest men in the world to get this done. Because if he doesn't have God, it will not matter. 
church. If we want to see a spiritual resurgence. Do you guys want to see a spiritual resurgence here in Medina? Amen. Do you want to see it in the world? Absolutely. Absolutely we do. Well, then we must understand that spiritual resurgence lie, relies on the faithful Redeemer. Church, we're going to sing a, a, two more songs, but this next song, I just want us to like really just focus in on, on God and, and just think about this idea that, that Nehemiah is teaching us is that this resurgence, church, is going to have to rely on the faithful Redeemer. We might feel like we're gaining traction for a little while, but we will fall on our face if God is not leading the way. And that should be okay because I know that my light can't keep up with God's light. I know that my light is non-existent without God to begin with. And that's okay. Because I've got a faithful God. Church, we have a faithful God who is willing and ready to lead us. But are we communicating with Him? Are we confessing to Him? And are we counting on or relying on Him to do so as He has promised us? Being an attitude of prayer, church. Father, thank you again for this morning. God, I pray that, that we would just be encouraged, that God, we would be focused in on this resurgence, but God, not without you, not without you leading the race. God, we press on, but we go nowhere without you. God, I pray that we would continue to see the brokenness in this community, the brokenness in our lives, the brokenness in our church and our homes everything. And God, that we would not only be broken by it, but God, we would communicate with you the things that are going on, the things that we've done wrong, the things that our community does wrong, or the things that our, our church family is just not got going on right. But we don't, we don't throw each other under the bus. We understand that we all have shortcomings, and we understand that there's only hope in you, our God. I pray that we would find comfort in that, Pray that that wouldn't, that wouldn't tear us apart and we just, we just give up. But we understand that we can't do it on our own. God, you have saved us by grace through faith. God, it's your grace. We respond through faith, the gift that you have given us. Every bit of your word has pointed us, that, pointed us to the fact that we cannot do it. And I pray that 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 would be okay with us this morning because there's no other way. God, I pray that you would lead us and guide us into this resurgence. God, you would bring us together in our groups that, God, we would, we would unite around the, the fellowship of your word. God, that we would gather around your word and we would just enjoy the company of our brothers and sisters and even the lost that would come in to experience that group. God, I pray that you would be glorified in all that we do as we go out, as you lead us out of here this morning and into the darkness, God, teach us to, to be a light sharing the good news that is only found in you, Jesus, our Lord. We love you and we praise you and ask that you would continue to move throughout this week as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.